It's that time again. It's Desert League, episode 11, coming up next. Here we go. It's the Desert League, episode 11. From the North Bureau, this is Ward Andrews. And from the South Bureau, it's Sean Fitzpatrick. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing great, Ward. I've got baseball on the brain. And my Houston Astros are getting ready to face off against the Dodgers. Uh, if only it were D-backs, Astros. That would bring joy yeah. to my heart. But uh, I'll I would, pull for your Strohs tonight. I'll pull for your Strohs be... in Game 7. I would be very excited for the D-backs, but the Astros and I go back further because I, I know this is Desert League, so I won't belabor the Houston Astros, but growing up down in uh, Corpus Christi in Houston, I got shin splints my senior year of high school back in 86. Yes, I'm dating myself because the game six of the National League Championship Series between the New York Mets and the Houston Astros was going on in the afternoon, and I had cross-country practice. I told myself if I did my personal best in cross-country that the Astros would win, and they lost. So bum, bum, bum. this <laughs> – yeah. And in the process, I got shin splints so bad that I was literally in bed for two weeks. <laughs> shin splints are the worst. I had the oh, they're in track in high school, and I couldn't do much of anything. And they were icing them. They were doing, like, electrical stimulation, and it was just not getting better. It was bad news. So there's nothing worse than shin splints. But you know who's who's not getting shin splints? Who? Is Khalil Tate. K-Tate. This guy <laughs> is truly Heisman worthy. That's not hype. His stats are better than anybody's. He is a revelation to Arizona football. And, and really, all praise to Rich Rod. I mean, he... He recruited him as a dual-threat quarterback. Everyone else wanted him as an athlete. Rich Rod made the right call. He's the perfect guy for the system. He throws the deep ball. He just has elite speed. His speed is so elite that it's faster than any other guy on the field. This is an amazing time for Arizona football, and it's all going to come together here in Los Angeles, in the Coliseum, against USC for the Pac-12 South lead. Khalil Tate versus the Trojans. Are you ready? Yeah. You know, it's funny. L.A. is the center of the sports universe this week, it seems like. And every every news story I pull up on Google related to USC Arizona is all about how is USC going to stop Khalil Tate? I mean, usually it's how is Arizona going to handle, you know, Sam Darnold and you know, and everybody's and in fact everybody in the country is talking about how is somebody going to find a way to stop Tate? So it's uh, and it's interesting because um, some of the sports writers out there are creating parallels between um, Khalil Tate and Sam Darnold because uh, USC was struggling and then Darnold came in. Uh, for them, and it brought them out of a major slump of their own. So the Khalil Tate, you know, parallel is something that's being remarked on. And also the fact that, uh, you know, Khalil Tate did get his very first start. Uh, well, no, was it? Uh, maybe you can correct me. 
I thought Tate got his first start against USC, or was it UCLA? So I think his first start was against UCLA, and uh, he he pretty much started against Colorado. It's just that um, we had the injury early, um, which caused him oh, to come in in the Colorado game. No, and, I, and I'm talking about last year. Um, oh, that may be he, true. Yeah, that I'm pretty be. sure. I'm pretty sure he had to come in and and then get walloped by uh, by USC. Um, in fact, I'm almost positive of that. Okay, yeah, and, yeah. I thought you were talking about this season. I remember that. I think he did get walloped, but it's funny. He did a little walloping <laughs> before he got walloped. He was definitely like, hey, I'm just going to go heads down and blow through people. And he, he set some people down in his run plays against SC, if I remember right, last year. Yeah, and and everybody's, everybody's commenting on what a difference there is. And, and I'm waiting for – you know, all of the uh, the conversation to turn from just being appreciative of, of the success that Tate is having and the fact that Arizona is competing for the Southern Division, you know, title or lead at this point to why didn't Rich Rod put him in sooner? We could have been even sure. better. He could be on sure. the short list for the Heisman. I'm just waiting for people to start bagging on oh, Rich it's Rod already, for that. That's already there. That's already there. <laughs> And really the sad thing is, you know, with his touch on the ball and his running ability, we, you know, we shouldn't have lost to Houston or Utah anyway. We only lost because of one bad pass in each game. So you put Tate in there, we win big in those games. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, And, you know, I, I had heard that Khalil Tate wasn't 100% to start the season anyway. So we just got to enjoy what we've got now. And the question really is, I mean, this is the first game I think where Arizona's going in and everyone's like lock, so locked in on Tate that they they're saying, you know, he can he be stopped? Before it was like, oh, Washington State will stop him. Oh, UCLA'll stop him. And now it's flipped and it's like, can USC stop him? <laughs> I think the answer's no, but we're going to find out. Well, and it's interesting because you look at uh, USC and Arizona State last weekend, and, you know, USC just just blew away ASU. And looking at some of the coverage around USC football, uh, players were talking about how they were really in a slump going into that game last week. And, you know, and reading some of the articles about and the comments that the players made – it just reminds you that these are literally kids because they talked about the reason for their turnaround against ASU was they just they just got a new attitude. You know, they were they all felt kind of worn down by the grind and they weren't having fun. And you know, they talked about one of the team captains going in and and talking to the coaches and saying, you know, man we just want to have fun and, you know, helping the USC coach um, reinstated playing music during practice. You know, that's something that he had taken away when he took over the team and just encouraged them to have fun. And, you know, the articles talked about how USC players were taunting the ASU student section and kind of embracing the villain role and just going after it. And it just shows you that, you know, sometimes all it takes is, is a little intangible to, to remind, you know, to get the energy level up. And, you know, I think that's something that Rich Rod has been good at cultivating with the team 
And he gets a lot of compliments for designing his schema around his personnel, which kind of makes him a little yeah. bit of like the, the anti-help in, in what you're looking at there. But, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. It, it'll be interesting seeing whether USC kind of sustains that energy or they, or, you know, we kind of invite them back into a slump. Yeah. Well, yeah. And here's the thing I want to understand. And, and this has always been a suspicion, but this is really the first year where I think it's a legitimate question. With Arizona's offense under Rich Rodriguez, when you have the read option going, when you have the deep ball going, and then when you have these safety valve plays, like the tight end over the middle, when you have all three of those rolling, and you have the right personnel in place. Is it possible to stop the offense? Like, yeah. are there two? Like, has does Rich Rod, is his is his is his superpower that he's figured out where, you know, where the holes and the stretch points in a defense are that if he gets all of the right guys on the same page playing the right way, that he can actually make it to the point where. It's almost like in soccer where you're doing a penalty kick. I mean, the odds are just in favor of the guy kicking, and the goalie has to jump and guess at where the ball's going to go, right? It's yeah. almost like Rich Rod's got this thing so dialed in with Khalil Tate. Obviously, it takes elite talent to make this work. Does he have it so dialed in that essentially, if you're a linebacker, you have to guess right? I think it might be. I mean, SC's got better athletes, so we're going to find out. But it just feels like he's got it dialed in right now where you just you can't cover everything. There's going to be a hole somewhere. Well, as much as everyone gives all the credit to Khalil Tate, you know, and the fact that he's in, you know, that he's on the field and that he's, you know, kind of leading the charge, you've got you've to give ultimate credit to Rich Rod and the coaching staff because they're on paper – you know, the media, everybody who picked Arizona to be dead last, you know, has to be right. Just because you look at what makes sense, you know, and the fact that they've been able to come up with schemes that exploit the specific weaknesses of the opponents. And as you said, get the right people on the field at the right time and, and leverage your assets. You know, it's, it's literally, if you look at some of the, you know, at some of the sets that that we have on offense, if you re, if you try and reverse engineer it, it's almost like like MacGyver is out there putting that together. And that you know that that also includes how Khalil Tate can you know MacGyver his way with duct tape out of broken blocking and turn it into a seventy six. I mean, in fact, that that's almost Arizona's best play. It is a broken yeah. play where Tate, you know, they were, they were talking about the fact that Arizona has not, uh, the offensive line has not given up a sack, I think in the last five games, uh, or basically during the entire Khalil Tate, you know, era. And a big part of that is because Tate is either, most of the time, you know, is a threat to run, is running himself, is faking a run. So, you know, you can't, you can't really blitz him. And so when he does drop back to pass, you know, the offensive line has the the added benefit of 
you know, guys aren't really coming in with the confidence that they're going to be able to get, you know, this slow-moving quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Khalil Tate, if he were a running back, would be potentially a all-American running back. Oh, no doubt. Uh, no doubt. He, but he has the added awesomeness in that he has he just kind of has got the feel for when to pull the the option and not to like it's almost like magic he he's just kind of figured out when how to how to how to hand it off and how to not like he's just got it down um, well and the, and the most exciting thing is is looking at that little that little jump hook pass that he does sometimes where uh, it, it looks like he's going to run, but he basically just dumps over a little five or six yard pass to you know tight end in the flat, and and it's just it just creates something that's fun to watch, and that yeah. that was the theme last Saturday. You were at the game, I was at the game, and yeah. the game was so crazy and all over the place and fast paced. You know, at one point, I had to figure out how to input into the computer two fumbles on one play, one fumble recovered. <laughs> and, and it put, you know, it put me, it put, you know, the stat team uh, behind like two drives to the point that we were getting calls from ESPN in Connecticut saying, Hey, you guys are behind. I'm like, yes, I know the computer doesn't even know how to interpret what we're trying to tell it to do, you know? <laughs> hey, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I got a question for you, Sean. Um, the Arizona defense, they w- – what is it about? Is it the scheme? Is it the coaching? Is it the uh, – just the caliber of the of all the freshmen that are playing? I mean, they're, they're definitely playing a bend-don't-break defense. I mean, it's very clear in watching this Washington State game. They gave up the dink and dunk kind of pass all night long. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it, it kind of was infuriating to watch because it's like, are you going to just keep giving up this free yardage? And yet they they, they were strong enough when they needed to be. Uh, is that going to hold up against SC? Or what are you feeling about the defense? Well, what – what I've seen is just a real change in culture. You know, it's just a very aggressive style of defense, you know, going for the pick, going for the cause fumble. And this is where you give up a lot of yardage when you have guys coming in who are, you know, they come in and they're going for the ball, trying to, to, to knock that thing loose. You start to see a lot of missed tackles, for example, you know, or if you see a guy going for a pick, you know, you're going you're gonna to gamble and you're going to miss sometimes and you're going to give up some yardage. That combined with the fact that, you know, we've got a lot of young guys and we've got guys who get beat deep. We've, got, we've especially got, you know, coverage problems over the middle, you know, that little 10-yard, <laughs> you know, little 10-yard pass there. But I think because the culture has changed, and every and a lot of that I'm sure has to do with you know coaches 
not um, penalizing, not literally penalizing, uh, but not holding it against players when they make aggressive mistakes and encouraging right. them to do that. And I'm sure when you've got a guy like Chuck Cecil, I'm not going to give all the credit to Chuck Cecil, but, you know, it's certainly going to help having a guy like that who's coaching you, who knows what it's like to be there and be the, hey, I'm just going to take the ball away from you and instill that mentality, that, you know, that killer instinct. But at the same time, when you have that instinct, you're going to make a lot of, you're going to make a lot more mistakes that give up, you know, yardage. But, if it if it results in more takeaways than the other team or coming up in the clutch or having the confidence to come up in the clutch, you know, Arizona's shown that, hey, give up a lot of points, but uh, luckily there's an offense scoring a lot, and when it comes down to it, you know, we'll just, we'll just hunker down and get it done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really nice to see it, and uh, it's definitely a culture change. They're just going to get stronger. We're we're looking at like the baby. We're looking at the infant version of what this defense is going to be. It's really exciting. So one thought that the pirate Mike Leach had after the game, I thought was interesting. He made the comment that Khalil Tate didn't make a real pass all game. Did you hear that? Um, I wasn't familiar with that, okay. but uh, so, yeah. I, I, I'm so still trying to figure out why he pulled, why he benched Luke Falk. We were trying to figure out what happened to yeah. Luke Falk all game, you know, because he's he's all world, all everything, and you know the right. backup did a decent job, but you know it's it's always hard to figure out Mike Leach. Yep. So here's where I think he was going with that, which was really interesting. What I think he was saying is, if you look at what Khalil Tate did. He either threw a, and by the way, perfect, he threw a deep ball a lot that had perfect touch, or he threw sort of this wide open, nobody's covering the tight end kind of pass. But he never really threw a traditional pass. Like there wasn't just like a hike it, have guys do a crossing route and hit them in stride. Like they're... Right. There was not any kind of pass like that. And that's what you kind of say, what you call a typical quarterback pass. Um, and you know what's funny? It just works. It doesn't matter. But it is an interesting observation that in our offense, Khalil Tate does not really need to make a traditional quarterback pass. Well, I love, I love hearing that because that, that tells me that there's frustration on the opposite side, you know, <laughs> yep. because you, you've got opponents trying to create a conventional game plan. And in a lot of ways, this is really unconventional because you do look a lot at a lot of plays that you wish could be designed to have the outcome that they have. But you could see from the get-go, this was a totally broken play and everybody just moved in the right direction, you know? Yeah. No, it's awesome. So let's stick with U of A for a minute. And, uh, you know, this is a really cool time of year. You know, you got the World Series. you got college football going. You actually have college basketball starting tonight. Arizona has an exhibition game tonight. And so that, that'll be fun. The McHale Center will be full and rocking to see what could be Sean Miller's and Arizona's most talented team of all time. Hit the wood. Yeah. Hit the hardwood. So excited about that. We have the World Series going on. 
you know, we have the Phoenix Suns who fired Earl Watson, which was a good move, as we'll talk about in a second. And they also, when Eric Bledsoe tweeted, I'm out of here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. They just said, cool, stay home. So now Eric Bledsoe's staying home. Earl Watson's gone. And the Suns are winning. So and since that move, the Suns are 3-1. Sort of. <laughs> hey, Suns are 3-1 and one since it happened. Okay. Okay. And, yeah. even the, and they were 0-2 or 0-3 before that, and they were losing by 40 points a game. Yeah. So, they, so yeah, they're right. three and four right now, and they're they're two game. They're actually two games right. out of the out of the lead. Yeah. And so, bottom line, coaching makes a difference. Bottom line, a cancerous point guard who's in it all for himself is not effective. So it's just nice to see some basketball fundamentals prove out. You go to a guy who's been trying to crack an NBA roster in Mike James. And, you know, Max and I saw him in the summer league two years ago. He was distributing the ball, scoring. He had a fire a lot of the other players didn't have. And we're like, why isn't he on the team? And they cut him two years ago. They cut him last year. They invited him this year. Then Bledsoe's out. Brevin Knight's hurt. Brandon Knight, sorry, Brandon Knight's hurt, who's essentially another Eric Bledsoe anyway. And now you get Tyler Eulis, who's just, hey, I'm just a point guard, baby. And you got Mike James. He's like, I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a true point guard, baby. And you've got a coach in there now who said, hey, if you guys don't hustle, you're just going to sit. Whereas before it was like, if you guys don't hustle, I'll give you a hug. And so this <laughs> new idea as a coach where just coaches just saying, hey, if you hustle. And then all of a sudden we're playing good defense. All of a sudden we got all these rebounds. All of a sudden – Devin Booker is doing these crazy plays in the lane, distributing, taking shots, picking his spots to dominate, picking other spots to distribute the ball. Uh, the Suns are not a playoff caliber team due to talent, but they are now a functioning professional basketball franchise again. And they have some young talent, and they have a coach that's holding them accountable, and they have a point guard doing point guard things. And it's just nice to see it. So you're going to take back all the – the nasty things you said on this pad podcast about uh, about Phoenix management for uh, for firing oh. uh, Watson one two oh. games in now, now now I never <laughs> had a problem with firing Watson I still have an issue with Suns management the, the player personnel moves and then Sarver as an owner is a cancer to the organization that hasn't changed okay okay However, I just want to make sure. However, putting in a serviceable coach and getting rid of a cancerous player were two positive moves that have made the Suns relevant, or at least we're now developing young talent, whereas before it was literally a dumpster on fire. And right. that's a good thing. And so we'll see what happens from here. Uh, there, there's a core of talent there. Obviously, there needs to be more to be competitive against the upper echelon in a day and age in the NBA where there are super teams filled with multiple all-stars. Uh, but, right. you know, it, it's better than what it was, so we gotta we got to make lemonade. Yeah, lemonade. well, and, you know, it's, it's only been five games since, you know, since then, but it certainly is a promising start. So the, the Suns take on the Wizards tonight, so that will be a – 
Interesting test. Or was that mm-hmm. last night? I think it's tonight. No, it might be tonight. They played Brooklyn last night. and uh, Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, they played Brooklyn. They're playing Washington tonight. So that'll be interesting. And uh, I, I I will miss I am uh, I'm passing up the University of Arizona exhibition game tonight. Um, had an offer for tickets for that because right. I've got to uh, see the Astros through. So uh, I'm sure I'm sure Mikhail will will function quite nicely without me, and will and you know I guess it's it's going to be an opportunity for some of the young guys because we've got you know we've got some injuries here going into. Uh, into the season, especially for the exhibition. So, especially at guard, we're going to have uh, we're going to have a couple. We're going to have a young guy at guard, kind of uh, manning things while we're yeah. you know getting healthy. But you know it'll be it'll be a fun uh, highlight show for the fans. I think so, and you know Alex Barcelo is going to be a great point guard for Arizona, and yeah. uh, he's going to get some min- serious minutes. It's going to be fun to see him in action in a in a game with the lights on and Mikhail center packed with people. So, yeah. so, so the, so the AP poll came out today. Uh, Duke is number one, uh, Michigan state's number two and <laughs> Arizona's number three. What are your thoughts about that? And then I guess in the coach, the coaches poll, Arizona's like, I believe number five, partly because some of the coaches Refuse to vote for any of the teams that are under the FBI investigation. Uh, whatever, whatever. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to go with the FBI investigation. I mean, you already, everybody knows that my take. Yeah. You know, book, book did what book did for book. And, right. Uh, whatever. But I will say I actually love it that we are kind of ranked lower than we should, or we're ranked with a worse rank than we should have. Because it just adds more fuel to the fire, you know. The whole nar- the whole narrative is going to be us against the world all season, and when you add, you kind of diss Arizona by not putting them number one um, when when most experts believe they are number one. I think only benefits Arizona and their mindset and what they got to do. That's my take. Yeah, I, I I like not being number one. I hate it when. We get chosen number one because then, you know, bad things start to happen. In fact, I, I will guarantee you that Mike Krzyzewski hates the fact that uh, that they're, you know, AP number one because it's nothing's more difficult for a coach than trying to convince his kids that they need to work to, you know, get the ranking that's been bestowed upon them. And mm-hmm. that, just makes a, that just makes a coach's job harder. Now, of course mm-hmm. – very quickly, Arizona could be in the number one spot. Although, if you look at Arizona's um, starting schedule for the season, I mean, I, we we don't play anybody of consequence for quite some time until maybe the uh, um, you know the championship game of the first tournament we play in. But uh, you know, up until then, yeah, I, I, I I actually had to look up one of the schools that we're playing at home. Um, because I, it was, it was, uh, was it Maryland, Baltimore County? Um, <laughs> I don't. Looking at the schedule, it was I, I didn't, didn't know that there was a school, and I think it was University of Maryland, Baltimore County, or something like that. And so we, we don't exactly have the toughest preseason, or the toughest, I say preseason before conference, but 
we don't have the toughest non-conference schedule starting out. Um, but then, you know, things pick up pretty quickly after that. Yep. What do you think about the rest of the Pac-12 in terms of hoops? Who, who do you think's dangerous? Um, what's your take? Um, that's a good question. I, I know everyone's uh, – a, a lot of folks are talking about USC as being uh, yep. as being a front runner. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting to see that rivalry, you know, come back again. Um, and, you know, other than that, I think that that's been the main thing that I've, that I've heard a lot about is, you know, watch out for USC. Right. I've heard the same. And if you look at that roster and you look at all the players coming back and some of these guys seem like they have been there forever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, Eliza Stewart. It's like, how many years of eligibility do you have? So that's, that's going to be a good season veteran team under a good coach. Um, you know, Dana Altman, he's just a good coach. I don't think he's going to ever field a bad team. In the yeah, basketball. that's true. That's true. It's like you almost forget to mention, I, mention them because they're always great. Yeah, Dana Altman, he does a great job. And then Utah is always a sleeper. Like, that's another team that's just – they're not going to be bad. Yeah, and, and uh, Arizona and Utah have developed a nice uh, rivalry over the years. Yeah. I love it. It is a rivalry because it's always close games, but we always beat them. So it's, in, in some ways it's not a rivalry. It's just another beat down. Um, yeah. But, yeah. And, and then, uh, you know, you, you look at UCLA and you think, this could be a real drop-off for them. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lonzo Ball powered a lot of what they did. And uh, what, what, what are they even going to run on offense? Well, how about well, just, just, and, uh, yeah, just to ask Lonzo's dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm just interested to see, but I think, man, we could really do damage against UCLA this year. And and then, of course, the ASU, they just uh, – it's got to be hard say, to since, start with nothing. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, since, since we are Desert League, it's like, what are your thoughts on Bobby Hurley and company? You know, I admire Bobby because he's a great player. He has great fire. He wants to win. I almost feel like he's one of those people in life, um, you know, and I've been there. But just like where you want to do something so well that you, maybe you get too tight and like you're, you're so like mentally tight, kind of like how Mike Stoops was so mentally tight. He wanted he wanted it so bad, you know, and he wanted to coach everybody up. He almost wanted to do it for the players and let a, instead of let the players do it. And uh, and he get and Bobby Hurley gets so kind of caught up in the officiating, and uh, he gets so caught up in just getting absolutely murdered by Arizona, and I think it's hard for him to like relax enough to let his players relax enough to develop. But at the same time, that's that's a good point. Like you got to get the yeah. talent in, but how do you get it in when you're not winning? And it's just a hard thing. He's just in a hard spot. There's a lot of work in front of him. Yeah, oh, absolutely, and he will, he will have to moderate his his fire and his temper because I mean we we saw I think the Stoops comparison is interesting because you know at first everybody was very excited when you know in fact we were 
I remember when I worked at the athletic department, I think we created a gif or something of Mike Stoops jumping up and down on the sideline. And we, we joked about coming up with a, uh, um, with a bobblehead that went up and down instead of like the head going up and down, the whole body would go up and down. Um, and everybody yeah. loved, everybody loved, everybody loved that fire. But then, you know, when all you have is fire and you're not really producing results, it starts to just start looking like temper tantrums, you know? Yep. That's right. And I feel like that's where the parallel is between Stoops and Hurley. Like, they they almost look like the same dude out there sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the difference is, you know, Sean, Sean Miller is not exactly a shrinking violet. In fact, there's all the jokes about, you know, how many – how many dress shirts and suits he sweats through, but you know, he, it's, it's kind of like a a controlled energy. You know, he gets it focused and gets it going, you know, he's very passionate, but he doesn't lose control of his emotions most of the time. Right. That's right. And not only that, but when he does kind of get under, like he gets fiery instead of like throwing a tantrum, he throws shade. Like, he'll make these comments that have all of these, like, subtext to them. And uh, he, he's funny. He's funny that way. And I think it's a, a more, a more <laughs> well, it's a more amusing way um, to deal with it. He, he gets all smart and, and funny with his comments and his actions. Uh, he touched the ball. He touched the ball. He touched the ball. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. So any of our listeners that don't know what we're talking about, just Google Sean Miller, he touched the ball and watched that uh, video on YouTube. The funny thing about that was is that Miller was right on two counts there. He was right that he touched the ball, and he was also right that he felt like he was getting unfairly treated, which later came out that there was a bounty on him to get um, thrown out of the game. Right. And so I right. find that. I find that interesting that Miller kind of, kind of just put that out there in the post game. But he was right, you know. He was right that he touched the ball, and he was right that he shouldn't have been thrown out of the game. So that was funny. yeah, yeah. It's Sean it's Miller. tough being right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's speaking of uh, it's tough being right. What were our predictions for that? Uh, Washington State game. I think you wrote them down, Sean. Um, no, I didn't. Did I keep prediction. I don't. I don't remember what the. I. I, I want to say. I want to say that you were closer on your on your prediction than I was, but I keep I keep looking for yeah. one of those things that you use to write things down that aren't are that aren't a computer, and I. I, I'm pretty sure. I'm not even sure if I own one of those. So unless I type it into a computer, and yeah. you know, th- this week I will do that. I, I, I'm in front of a computer and I will type it into a computer, so that I have it for yeah. reference. Yeah, we can always listen back and find out. I can't remember either. It's fine. But we definitely, we definitely have to make some predictions for this Arizona USC game. Um, it's going to be a big one. It's for the Pac-12 South lead. It's for all the bragging rights, and it may be also for vaulting Khalil Tate legitimately into the Heisman race. So this is a big game. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, in and I know last last week I was talking about the, you know, from the perspective of um, maybe we should root for ASU because then we'd have a three way battle for the Southern Division, and actually this is better. Because, you know, we get the satisfaction of ASU losing last week, and we get to, bat- to duke it out with USC uh, for sole possession, uh, you know, atop the, uh, atop the South. Yep. So I'll, I'll take you. that. I, you know, forget this whole thing of the excitement of having three teams at the top. I like, I like this Arizona going toe-to-toe with the only, uh, you know, with the perennial powerhouse. Yep. So what what are your yep. thoughts for uh, prediction? So, uh, I mean, it's worked so far. So I will take my I'll keep my Homer hat on, and I'm going to predict an Arizona victory again. Um, this is one of those games where Arizona may blow them out. Really? I'm going to go with a blowout. Yeah. Yeah, because SC thinks they can hang. And if Rich Rod's system with Khalil in charge, if it gets rolling and then Arizona starts doing well, and then SC kind of tries to do their thing, because their whole thing is they've got a good running attack, but I actually think we defend that decently. I don't know. I'm I'm just going to say that we're looking at Arizona 48, USC 24. Wow. All right. I have now recorded that. Is that your final answer? That is my final answer. <laughs> and uh, I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly what, what uh, I predicted last game, but I seem to – Recall that it was probably lower than what the point total was. Um, I'm going to go with a pretty close game at home. I'm going to go 35-32 Arizona. Ooh, that would be a good game. I, I mean, I'll take any win, right? Yeah. That would be a good game. Okay. Well, and speaking of the three-point differential, I do have to to mention and give a shout out oh. to uh, to Havlicek, the the freshman uh, kicker for Arizona, who tied the school record with a field a 57-yard field goal at the end of the first half last week um, against Washington State. And we we at the staff booth yeah. actually didn't realize that 57 yards was the field goal record until afterwards, so there was no bias. And we were talking about going back and looking at the other 57-yard field goals on tape at some point so that someone can determine which one is actually the longest one because the ball was put down on the hash. It was, it was uh, in between two hashes. So, um, so yeah, if it comes down to um, a long field goal, you know, we could, we could see some drama in the Coliseum. Especially now that we've got a we've got a kid who can kick a fifty seven yard field goal. Yeah. I I was surprised they did that. 
and he kicked it so well. And then to read afterward that this guy's been <laughs> kicking 65-yard field goals in practice, I thought, well, that's a weapon we haven't had in a long time. Oh, it's so unreal. And, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So and you know, it's I'm funny. Go... When, when, when you have a great team, it's like you have all those intangibles. You know, like yeah. maybe this is going to be a end up being a great Arizona team. We're, we kind of have a lot of the intangible pieces. Uh, so maybe even though we started out so crappy, maybe we'll end up looking back at a, you know, a 10 and two or a nine and three season and say, you know, that was one of the, that was one of the better Arizona teams. It, it's kind well, of starting to feel that way, which is pretty crazy from where we well, there's a. Yeah, there's there's a buzz now that if if Tate does one of his you know magic performances and goes off against USC on that stage and on that national stage, you know, with both of the rankings the teams have, that that's going to be a huge breakout for the Arizona program and for Tate specifically, especially around Heisman talk, even, even if it's not for oh, yeah. this year, you know. But it's going to put him on the national radar, as, and it's going to put Arizona on the national radar. So there's there's a lot more. Uh, obviously, you know, control of the Pac-12 Southern Division is is a huge incentive, but beyond that are intangibles. And you know, Arizona coaches are going in a few days early for recruiting down there in Southern California, and so you can bet that the recruiting side is going to be one that they're thinking about quite a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All the buzz is going in the right direction. It's funny because Arizona only has a couple slots left in their scholarship roster. And and Rich Rod was saying in a press conference that he's getting all these funny calls and interest. And, and uh, well, you know, it's just funny how that works. And then you also have that whole, I think about those five guys, the Oregon five that flipped to uh, – to go up there and I'm thinking you might be on the wrong side of momentum you know <laughs> Oregon's not looking too strong and Arizona's really coming on and uh, that may have not been the wisest of decisions but uh, we'll see how it plays out well this Saturday is going to be the, right. uh, the ultimate test Yeah, well, that's all I've got, Sean. How about you? I'm I'm good to go. It's time to go cheer on the Strohs. All right. Well, good luck to the Strohs tonight. Good, good luck to the Cats, both tonight in hoops and then this weekend against SC. We'll see if the Suns can cobble together a few more victories. Maybe even the Cardinals can get something done. I know they've got a big Thursday night game next week against Seattle. So, uh, for hey, Cardinals week, are. I'm Ward Andrews. Oh, oh, I just, I was just gonna say as we're signing off, Cardinals are only two games out in their division. So even when you're, even when you're losing, you can still be winning. So that'll be, that'll be our sign-off message. Sometimes when you're losing, you're still winning. <laughs> Very good. Yep. Well, go Cards. Bear down, Arizona. Go Suns. And uh, from the North Bureau, Ward Andrews 
from the South Bureau, Sean Fitzpatrick. This is the Desert League. This was episode 11. If you want to subscribe to the Desert League, look at Apple Podcasts and subscribe to Desert League. Or go to anchor.fm slash desert dash league. Or send us a check for $10 and we'll uh, make sure you get set up. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.